By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Welcome to Moody's Talks, KYC Decoded. I'm your host, Alex Pillow, and this episode is presented by Moody's Analytics. A quick disclaimer. By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the policies, views or positions of Moody's Corporation and its affiliates. Risk comes from not knowing what you are doing, said Warren Buffett. Most businesses know what they do, and in our space, most will have the normal controls in place. However, how many of us can say we truly understand the risks our firms are exposed to and can explain to our colleagues, peers, and regulators how we came to that conclusion? Today, we're going to talk about risk assessment. Not of third parties, but of one's own firm and what the maturity of that process is in the KYC and AML profession today. To educate all of us on this, we've enlisted the help of Anthony Quinn, who after a successful career as a practitioner and program manager in AML, counter-terrorist financing and compliance, saw a gap in the regtech market for solutions that can bring rigor to the risk assessment process and elevate the understanding of risk across the regulated sectors. Anthony Quinn, over from Oz, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. Yeah, no, no real pleasure. Thought we would talk a little bit about the risk assessment topic overall, given, given how much of your, your time you've you spent on this over, over the years now. And I want to start by sort of asking, you know, why go into that space? Most of the investment into reg tech has gone into identity verification. There's 50 plus odd companies doing that. There's CLM platforms, there's transaction monitoring. Why choose to focus on the bit before the controls with, with risk assessment? Well, I think obviously you know, the, the, the AML regulations is risk-based by nature and that basically puts the onus on regulated businesses really to understand, you know, what their risks are. So they need to be able to identify them, assess them, and then build basically a control framework to mitigate and manage them. So if they don't have a very good understanding of their risks then everything else that follows is not necessarily, you know, may not cover the, the risks uh, in, the, in a, an appropriate and proportionate way. So that's really where we focused um, our, our time and effort, and, and mostly because there's no real technology in this space um, when we first started out. So, in terms of a kind of a from a competitive niche uh, perspective, we wanted to target there, and and obviously a lot of businesses aren't doing this particularly well, haven't done this particularly well in historically. How do they typically do it if um, there's not any technology to sort of assist? Well, I mean, obviously there's there's hundreds of thousands of regulated businesses around the world across a whole range of different industry sectors, so it's very, very broad, but pr- predominantly most organisations are either not really doing a risk assessment as such, they might be doing controls assessment, not assessing risks, um, but others, you know, are using spreadsheets and, you know, and there's a whole heap of issues around using spreadsheets to do risk assessments in terms of, a lack of audit trail, lack of, um, you know, reporting and workflow that a platform can deliver. Okay. And when you came to this, where, where did you start? If you go, right, we're going to build something that's going to help people do risk assessment or enterprise risk assessment better. Where, where do you start? Do you pick one area or one 
regulation? Well, I mean, mostly um, anti-money laundering regulation. It's, you know, the, the, the enterprise or business-wide risk assessment is inbuilt into the regulations, which is not necessarily the case for things like fraud or bribery and corruption and other topics. So obviously there's a regulatory mandate where this is, you know, required um, by law which helps, obviously, um, in terms of being able to sort of drive expectations around, you know, what, what businesses need to do. Um, so in terms of our kind of journey, we, we actually started building some audit and assurance uh, technology first, which is really to help organisations assess the design and operational effectiveness of compliance programs once they've been implemented. And then we started to look at um, the enterprise-wide risk assessment and We've actually got two technology platforms that we deliver, but one of those is really designed for small to mid-sized businesses that, you know, they, they may not have the, they've, they've got the obligation, but they don't necessarily have the in, in-house skills or capabilities to really understand, well, what is the methodology that I should be using? You know, what types of risk risk groups or categories or risk factors or risk indicators should I be uh, assessing for my particular industry or business? You know, how do I assess the nature, size, and complexity of my organisation? How do I understand the risks that are sitting within my products? And so, so, so we we started out really built by building a, a, what we call a guided risk assessment solution, and it's really designed to allow people to they, they may not necessarily be AML experts, um, and they don't necessarily need to be to use that platform, but they can essentially you know answer some questions around the the business that helped to. Them to d- define the the nature, size, and complexity of their of their organisation breaks down the risk assessment, looking at the different types of environmental risk exposures they might have to things like money laundering, terrorism, financing, sanctions, you know, regulatory compliance in it, in and of itself, and then it goes through looking at you know customer risks and as a as a kind of a, an enterprise view of customer rather than an individual customer looks at business risk uh, profile. Uh, things like employee risk, um, you know, geographic footprint of of a business, uh, and then all the way through the, the actual characteristics within products and services and channels and, and and countries. But it essentially guides them through that process. Um, there's obviously a lot of regulatory guidance that are out there, but it, it's it's quite light on in terms of um, you might say, you know, a risk assessment. We expect you to look at customer risk, product risk, channel risk, but it doesn't actually say. You know, what risk factors should I be considering? Sure. How do each of those correlate to each other? You know, that type of thing. And so that's what we've done with that with that platform. So, you know, that, that really helps people to uh, you know, assess and, and understand their risk. And then as part of that platform is a, a program um, component so that they can understand how to define an AML program that's appropriate and proportionate to their risks and essentially produce everything that they would need to do Deliver to their board or to a regulator to assess their their risk. Um, so so that was really where we started in this space. So in AML, regulated businesses effectively filling in or scaling an expertise gap. It sounds like so you're you're letting people know the how if they haven't done it before they can they can follow this process. In the regulated space, there's a million subsectors, or maybe not a million, but there's a lot. Yeah. Was there a particular industry you sort of found was the the best starting point that was most underserved in this. Yeah, this well, I mean, we we've tailored the that platform in, from a risk perspective um, by by industry sector. So broadly, financial services, gaming, and designated non financial services businesses. But even within you know financial services, for example, there's probably fifteen different subcategories. Right. 
and obviously the the nature of the products and services that are provided and that you know varies. So you know you've got you know banks and credit unions and building societies and asset and wealth managers, you know stockbrokers, leasing companies, you know fintech companies that all have the same obligations. But even beyond financial services, you've got you know casinos, physical gaming venues, and then obviously lawyers, accountants, real estate agents, and so on. So across that whole industry spectrum, there's basically a really diverse set of skills and capabilities. So obviously, you know, major banks typically have, you know, very deep pockets, you know, well um, skilled resources in, in compliance. Um, they, they also have some other challenges, which we can cover off uh, in a while, but um, you know, the average small to mid-sized business in, in a lot of those industry sectors are just, they, they just lack the, the skills and capability to be able to do this. And they also lack the resources to be able to go and kind of hire dedicated resources to do it or consulting firms to support them. And that's really where we think that technology can play a role to, to, to give them that capability that they don't currently have. Sure. And if those fir- or if a large enough number of firms are able to start getting their do risk assessment, do it well, what do you think then happens? Like what change would you expect to see in the world? Well, it, it, I mean, to me, it's madness that you've got a risk-based approach. You've got millions of regulated entities and the regulators are generally sitting on the fence saying, well, the risk is best understood by you and your and your business, which to some extent I agree with. But um, the fact that, you know, you can have you know, 100,000 regulated businesses in a market and, you know, no common standard in terms of how that risk assessment is conducted in terms of the, the level of rigour, support, you know, in terms of assessing risks and controls and, you know, how, how does a regulator like the FCA or Austrac in, in, in Australia or other regulators around the world properly regulate the effectiveness of that risk assessment if, if, if everyone's got, you know, completely different methodologies, completely mm-hmm. different frameworks? Um, that's where we see the, the long-term benefit is actually having some, you know, industry standardisation in terms of kind of common risks, um, in terms of risk classifications, risk, risk methodologies, risk frameworks. Um, and, and, and so we've started to do a lot of kind of industry benchmarking reports. So we, where we would have um, like a lot of clients across our credit unions, uh, credit union space, you know, we really got a good understanding of the business risks of that industry sector. Uh, and we're talking to FIUs in different jurisdictions that are, I guess, more inclined to sort of mandate risk assessment approaches across a broader industry set. Now, if they do that, then obviously that's going to elevate, elevate the the understanding of the whole industry around the AMA risks as a, as a sector and understand, you know, what, what the trends are, what the outliers are, you know, you know, and what areas need to be improved. So I think that there's definitely a movement towards this. It's just, it's just taking a long, long time. Sure. So if you get some standardization, broader adoption and sort of more, Rigor, I guess, was one of the terms you used. Then you get to a better space where firms are actually able to be risk based. Is is that what you're saying? A hundred percent. I mean, we we talk to you know, major financial services business around the world every single week, and some of them have got you know billions of dollars in revenue, you know trillions of dollars in assets under management, and yet they they don't have a, a risk assessment framework. So that is exposing them. Um, they don't have a a proper business-wide risk assessment in place. No, I don't know how they they can get away with that in terms of, you know, what do they produce to their board? What do they produce to the regulators? 
um, they're running massive risks if they're not managing this particularly well. Yeah. And, and there's a huge improvement even even for well-established businesses to to up the game in this in this space. Yeah. Okay. So if I was to, you know, as an essay question, sort of say, right, risk assessment for any business needs a person or, or people that can, you know, think like criminals, think like external actors and, and it can't be automated. You, you've got, it's got to be driven by people and they need to produce their spreadsheet. How do you go about sort of discussing, you know, writing that essay to the counter argument? I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I mean, there's a whole heap of debate around that. So subjectivity versus objectivity is one, um, you know, should the risk assessment be, you know, completely data driven or kind of human rational driven in terms of, you know, what's the likelihood of a risk occurring? What's the impact of it occurring? What's the inherent risk? What controls do I put in place? How effective those controls are? I mean, I, my my view is, is like the best approach is a hybrid. So, but really just trying to understand, well, like they need to understand their business very fundamentally. So what products and services are being offered um, by that, by that organisation and what are the actual characteristics of those products and services that are more or less attractive from a money laundering perspective, like where are their vulnerabilities in their products? How do they distribute those products? Are they through face-to-face or non-face-to-face channels? You know, understanding, you know, their internal risk exposure. Like it's actually really having a deep understanding of, of their business and how they could be explored from an organised criminal perspective. Um, there's lots of tools out there to do that. There's lots of industry guidance, but there's, you know, the actual skill level and capability level generally across the board is not that high. Okay. Okay. So it's sort of a way, well, people move jobs, right? Particularly today's market. So it's kind of a way of a, a company having a, at least a, a baseline. They go, right, this is how we do it. And people might come in and add to that or bring in additional expertise. But at the very least, we're going to follow a consistent process. I think so. I mean, we've seen, you know, consulting and advisory firms going out and advising clients with completely different methodologies, non-standard, you know, from one country to the next, one industry to the next. So even internally, there's not really that much standardisation that happens. Obviously, we see in large organisations, they may have, you know, different methodologies or different approaches in different geographies or across different business units or, you know, know, it's very difficult to really properly and repeatedly understand the risk. And so I think, I think that one of the major challenges is because there are such manual um, approaches to this problem that the risk assessments themselves are being conducted so infrequently, you know, maybe annually, every two years or what have you, that by the time that the risk assessment is complete, it might be rolled across you know, 50 different operating groups or business lines or countries or whatever, it's basically out of date. Like what's the point in having a risk assessment presented to a board, you know, a year after the fact, you know, everything's moving so quickly. The threat landscape's moving quickly. The regulations are moving quickly. Criminals are, are moving quickly, moving in, in into and out products much quicker than an organisation. And, and if there's no um, flexible, standard, and repeatable way of executing this, is 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 almost like a pointless exercise unless it's done properly. Yeah, that's really interesting. You mentioned the sort of speed. We've talked a lot on this podcast and other episodes about sort of agile methodology and the need for maybe this industry or this KYC AML profession to become more agile and less sort of periodic. And yeah, it's interesting to hear about that, about even the risk assessment stage, as well as the controls and the investigations side, which sort of obviously happens later in the process. Um, 
you mentioned you obviously started with AML and there's a lot of guidance there, but people don't know how. I know you look at other types of assessment as well. And I just wondered if there was a use case that you now see customers struggle with the most. Is, is, there, is there any particular type of risk where they just go, I don't know where to start and this has the most immediate impact? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I actually just generally think overall as a, as okay. a topic, <laughs> um, but I think, um, I mean, and typically small to mid-sized businesses either are missing, you know, a, a good understanding they need a framework in place. The challenges that some of the larger organisations have is, you know, they want to, they, they may have a methodology, they may have uh, risks, uh, a library of risks, they might, they may not have a standardised process and they want some flexibility to be able to create their own risk models. So, um, so, so the other platform that we built is, is uh, what we call a risk domain agnostic platform. And, you know, we've got different kind of in-house built modules for AML, sanctions, bribery and corruption, fraud, human wildlife trafficking, correspondent banking, a whole range of other dif- disciplines that organisations typically struggle with. Um, but it also has the capability for organisations to be able to, you know, bring their own risk models, tailor those risk models, um, adjust, uh, you know, a proportionality into those models by applying you know, weights to different risks or to different controls or to um, to different business units within their organisation, um, and that and that gives them a lot more kind of a lot more capability than trying to do this on spreadsheets. I mean, what we see, you know, organi- like a typical you know bank or mid tier large organisation that they they might have fifty different operating units in operating in different countries, different product lines, different business lines. They're rolling out 50 spreadsheets, you know, getting people to fill it out, getting the results back. You know, there's, there's no kind of what workflow. You can't attach documents to a spreadsheet. You can't, you know, have like field level audit trail. This is the risk. This is why it was assessed this way. You know, here's the, the sign off and approval process on mm. a particular risk. You know, here's, here's the thought, here's the thought process that's gone behind it. Here are all the actions or issues or gaps or vulnerabilities that I've identified. Here's the action plan to, to remediate that. You know, there's, yeah, you know, doing this on on a on a in a simple way is just not really fit for purpose anymore. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like it's not necessarily a specific use case. It is still, as you say, having a process, and then if you get that, you can start to then be as clever as, as your people. Yeah. Um, well, I think obviously, like AML is the is the biggest use case around risk assessment, mainly because of the regulatory um, yeah. requirements around it. So there's an expectation that there is a business risk assessment in place for every business, that it's not just done as a static once off exercise. There's an ongoing process based on you know changes to an organisation's business or or kind of risk framework. So so AML is definitely the the biggest case that we that we see. Um, but there's there's a lot of other different use cases around, like even if you pick, say, correspondent banking, for example, you've got you know, major global banks that are, you know, they might have hundreds or thousands of uh, respondent banks within their within their network. They're trying to assess all the the risks across their network using spreadsheets like that. That just yeah. is crazy. There's much better ways of doing it. And I, the other one I think about, particularly um, because as I said at the start, you're sort of visiting us from, from Australia, although, although you serve clients globally, is that Australia, as I understand it, is like world leader on modern slavery regulation at the moment and, and building that out. And I'd imagine that the skills to build, do a risk assessment on anti-money laundering, although you can transfer some of them, it's a different level of domain expertise to look at something specific like modern slavery. Do you, 
Is there any sort of lessons you've learned from helping companies there? I think, I mean, we, I mean, most of our customers are uh, using the AML kind of capabilities really and, and, and modern day slavery is quite an emerging piece. So I think there's you know, just the, the ability to be able to have a, a risk platform that you can tailor the content based on specific domains is, is really the key thing because the actual fundamentals behind a risk assessment in terms of you know, what, what are the risk groups I'm going to be looking at, what are the categories of risk, how do I actually assess you know, those risk factors or risk indicators, how do I aggregate those, those up to, be, to understand you know, what my inherent risks are, how do I assess controls. That's really the framework that's, in, that's important mm. um, in, in terms of the content domain you know, we do, we've got sort of an in-house team that does um, content development, but we also work with, with other partners um, in spaces also beyond financial crime. So we're getting, uh, doing some work with, you know, climate risk assessment experts that do climate risk assessments on properties and they're, right. they're able to kind of build a risk model using the technology, ingest it into the platform, and then it's got, you know, a whole kind of wraparound capability in terms of like audit trail workflow, those types of things. So I think the the, the key lesson is actually having a sound and robust risk management framework and tools to be able to deliver that. The actual topic is, I wouldn't say irrelevant, but it's, it's obviously, you know, the content can, can be ingested into any of those types of tools. Right. And okay. it's constantly evolving anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to, good to understand. Um, I mentioned to a few people that I know listen to the podcast, sort of that I'm connected with on LinkedIn and, and other places sort of, we're going to have this conversation and, probably going to talk about the risk assessment topic. Um, so got a few questions from them. Our audience asks, as, as we call it, might need to come up with a better name. Um, so one that sort of came through, it's slightly longer question. So bear with me, but it says, how likely are risk assessment tools or services to be guided by what the client already has in terms of informing their findings? And ultimately, is it better to prune and plant or do root and branch surgery? when someone's looking to change how they do risk assessment? I mean, the answer, is, it just depends, I guess. I know that's a bad answer, but it, but it really it's just- It's normally de- true though. <laughs> but it, but it, is, it is normally true because uh, like often we would get contacted by I know, a new money laundering reporting officer or chief risk officer or whatever you'd say, like, I've just joined this organisation, they've got a risk assessment, but it's not really a risk assessment. It's kind of a hodgepodge of we've got a list of controls and there's no kind of coherence in terms of how, how it's all pulled together. In, in some cases, it's really, you know, let's start with a baseline um, content module for AML, which has kind of got a structured framework for assessing risks and then, and then, and then basically embellishing um, that risk model based on anything that is unique or specific to their existing methodology that they want to, to keep. Or organisations may have a spreadsheet-based methodology that is, pretty sound and mature has gone through, you know, multiple years of cycle. And we would just basically work with them to deconstruct their existing models and rebuild them in our platform. So it, it really just depends on the level of capability of the, the, the organization, what they currently have and, and whether what they have is actually fit for purpose and working properly. Sure. So it's not one size fits all. It's the technology so, I mean, would I mean, adjust around and that is how you would advise anyone to do it, whether they were using Arctic's tools or not you'd say, look, you, you just got to find what's, what's right for you right now. I mean, you've, you've, you've basically got to have, you know, I mean, the, the ultimate um, responsibility is the organisation that has this responsibility. They're ultimately, it's their risk assessment. They're ultimately accountable for, for that. What they need to be able to do is have an explainable and defendable methodology. That is, 
you know, and and they need to be, understand, you know, are, satisfy themselves. You know, are they are they do they really understand their risks? Are they really assessing them properly? You know, how how do they you know con- draw the conclusions around? Well, this is really what my residual risk profile looks like. How does that align with their appetite? You know, do they need to make any mitigating steps to you know, to avoid the risks or or to or to live with them or tighten up their control framework or, or whatever? But ultimately, they need to be able to explain and defend it. And that becomes a challenge for a lot of people, especially if they've inherited risk models that they don't understand, or they may have been left behind by a consultant that's you know long gone. Yeah, and this is their their methodology. The regulator knocks on the door and says, "Well, show me your risk assessment." Like, oh, here's this. Well, how does that work? Well, I don't know. I don't really know. Or what? You know, it's like it's sure. an impossible conversation to have. So I think, in some ways, it is better to, you know, to to rebuild um, or, or to start start again if if it's fundamentally flawed, basically or unexplainable. Yeah, that leads quite nicely actually to the the next question uh, from from another um, context. So they've said, sort of, what's the most common problem that would drive a client to want to overhaul? their risk assessment methodology. And I just wonder, is it that? Have they inherited something and they don't understand it? Is, or, or is it something else that is normally done? Obviously, it could be a combination of things, but I just wonder, is there one thing that normally drives people to go, we need to do this a different way? There's probably about four or five reasons, but like some of them are a knock on the door from a regulator. Yeah. Show me your risk assessment or that doesn't, or like a, a you know. A regulatory um, event. Regulatory yeah. event. Yeah. Um, it could be, you know, changing, like we've talked about, like a, you know, chief risk officer or money laundering officer coming in, looking at what is currently there and, and deciding that that's not fit for purpose. It could be an independent audit that's done over a program and highlights the risk assessments are a gap and a vulnerability. Could be, you know, regulatory or media scrutiny over a particular aspect of the of a business, a product being used to facilitate money laundering that isn't, you know. So there's, there's, a, there's numerous kind of trigger events. Um, that can occur and, and, and obviously, you know, like it's 2022, right? Like you've got, you know, these banking AML regulations have been in place for like you know, 10, 20 years and, you know, major banks that are running major, you know, customer account transaction activity are still doing risk assessments for, for their entire business on a spreadsheet, you know, not very frequently and not very robustly. I mean, that is just insane. And, and you've mentioned sort of the media scrutiny there. The next question, it's almost like you've seen these before, um, is uh, should reputational risk factor into risk assessment or, or should it be more just you know, based on the regulations and, and reputational is something else? I mean, I think um, like that there's basically a, a standard set of, I guess, risk categories that are defined by the regulations, but we don't think they go far enough. And in, in our platform, we have what we call environmental risk and part of that is governance and compliance. And so one of the questions that we are asking is really, you know, does, to what extent could their program be found to be inefficient or ineffective because it doesn't have the right levels of governance and oversight arrangements in place? You know, does, does the program that they've got in place align to the risks that they've got? Do they follow their own program? So, so looking at, um, you know, obviously the broader money laundering risk is kind of like one thing, but actually understanding, you know, the governance and control frameworks, reputational risk is kind of, part and parcel of, of that, how they're actually managing their risk exposures. So I think, yeah, it's definitely broader than just product, customer, channel, geography or whatever. Okay. And last one of, of these that, that I've sourced from elsewhere. So 
what differentiates the expectations of different types of business in how they approach their risk assessments? I mean, that's a good question. I think um, it really starts at the top, really, doesn't it? Like the expectation in terms of, you know, what is my risk, what is my risk appetite? Like, but I think there's a disconnect sometimes there because if you, you ask most CEOs of the banks, you know, what, what's your risk appetite to money laundering? I said, absolutely none. We have no, we don't have no um, appetite for risk money laundering. I was like, well, you know, sh- shut all the customers down, shut all, don't <laughs> offer any products, you know, because you are going to have, vulnerabilities yeah. uh, and you, and it's just a part of life but what you need to be able to do is is to, is to have a proper framework to identify and assess those risks and mitigate them and manage them and I I really think that some of that is not done that well like typically the risk assessment might be well we're debanking a whole industry sector because we just don't like dealing with fintech firms or we don't like de- dealing with you know money remittance businesses or what have you in my mind that's not really a risk assessment that's just basically Tiring everybody with the same, yeah, the same yeah. brush. Having a, a proper risk assessment is to you know, understand the the risks and vulnerabilities of the, of your customer base as a whole. And, I, and I'm not just talking about um, KYC. So, he, like an example um, is there's 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 about 1,800 pubs and clubs in Australia, for example, that are regulated under the AML laws. All of those have got accounts with the various banks. So the banks would have them as business banking customers. If they're just understanding the KYC risks, they'd say, oh, who's the director of this business? Who's the ultimate beneficial owner of the business? They have got no clue about, you know, this pub has got hundreds of millions of dollars in cash going through it every year. This is the strength of the controls that this business has in place. This is how well their risk is being managed. And they're holding accounts that are sitting with banks. And, and often they're, you know, they would have, they'll be clueless about the, the risk that the bank is running. Yeah, yeah. Good, good example and one maybe people to ponder, particularly, I mean, it doesn't just have to be pubs and clubs and in Australia for anyone that's not been there often doubling as sort of mini casinos as well. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, exactly. I did hear a stat when I lived there, which was um, apparently, I think outside of Las Vegas, uh, Sydney has the most slot machines per capita of anywhere in the world. I don't know if that's still true or if someone made it up at the time, but no, no, that's it sounded believable. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me started about all the vested interests that are in. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Before, before we get shut down, we'll, we'll move on. One question I had, and it comes back to saying you said uh, you said a few times around these risk assessments are oft, often done infrequently. Is is there a reason that they are typically annualised versus being more trigger based? I, th- I mean, the the companies that are doing this well are doing it much more frequently than than annually. They've got good processes in place for like product risk assessment prior to launching products. Mm. They're, they're looking at you know, how do they do the trigger-based events. So, you know, I'm going into a new industry sector. I'm, I'm, I'm going into a new geography. I've, my business has changed. I've, I've acquired a new, a new business or, or, you know, there's some regulatory guidance in my space or my peers have been found, you know, wanting in certain areas. Like mm. the, the ones that are really proactively doing this are doing it a lot more uh, frequently. The ones that are just kind of ticking the box and just saying, oh, I've got to do this. It's an annual cycle. I think the reason they're doing that annually is because, Regulatory expectations and the and the and the capability of regulators to properly assess the risks of their regulated communities, given that there is no standardisation or no yep. desire to push standardisation, um, means that you know there's only so, so much capacity. Like I, I, I sort of give give the Australian example, but there's there's fourteen thousand regulated entities in in Australia. There's three hundred uh, people that work at the regulator. You know they can't possibly get across. 
mm. uh, all of the regulated businesses. And it's the same with the FCA, same with the SEC, same, you know, then there needs to be some level of standardisation and, and expectation around trigger-based and, and quality. Yeah, yeah so so the, those companies that are doing that better job and, you know, as you said, they might have a new product and then they go, right, we're going to do risk assessment before. And I assume that would be do the risk assessment. And if there is a, a difference or a change, then they will rewrite their policy and process and bring in the additional controls as well. Like, I guess what I'm trying to imply or check with you is that you don't do this for the point of doing it. You do this so that you can then make changes as appropriate. hundred percent. You know, it needs to be, you know, an ongoing process. It's, a, it's not just a static once off, tick the box and move on. It's really, you know, what are my risks? Are there any gaps? What am I going to do to fix those gaps? How am I going to test that those controls are actually effective and working? You know, what sample testing am I going to put in place? You know, how do I revisit those, um, those, the risk assessment and controls assessment over time, you know, how do I actually tighten up the control framework, you know, in response to the environment around me, both internal, the things that I'm doing, you know, the products I'm launching, the business you know, decisions that I'm making, and the external environment, the regulatory risk, the threat landscape, you know, actually having a, a proper kind of feedback loop that, that becomes, you know, absolutely part of the day the day process as a business that that's fundamentally where this has to has to go to you know it's just worth everyone that's listening sort of thinking about is that if it's continuous it also means you've got to continually look at the policies and controls as well as the assessment so i don't know if that's anyone's full-time job or whether that should be a role within teams or a, or a mini team within a department where you're constantly doing this but maybe that could be a, a future state or a goal rather than someone trying to sort of as soon as saying is someone part of someone's role rather than their full time, it tends to be, oh, well, I've done this now, don't think about it. But I, I guess where, like, just to kind of counter that is that when, when you see major regulatory issues that have occurred, ultimately some of these issues may have been going back years and years yep. and years. So they yep. say, right, we, we've now got a multi-year backlog remediation program going on because we just haven't had an independent review for years. Yep. We, you know, we haven't had proper scrutiny over the effectiveness of those controls for years. And then there's a whole bunch of, you know, remediation work that's, you know, required. There's, there's literally capability uplifts of financial crime programs going on around the world because when they first introduced you know, KYC systems or, you know, EDDD or transaction monitoring or what have you, like the supporting control framework around that may not, may not be effective. Yep. And, and, and the risk assessment is really understanding, well, what do I need to do in the first place? And then, and then having that, that kind of the checks and balances in place is kind of fundamental. I think a lot of people just think AML, they think KYC, yep. or they think transaction monitoring. They don't think about really anything else. Yeah, don't think about the whole end to end. They don't think about the governance framework. And and, and in a lot of cases, what, what we do is kind of like book in that framework. So we do you know risk assessments at the front at the front end and help to strengthen the risk assessments, um, the quality of those risk assessments, the frequency, the ease of use, and what have you. But then through the health check platforms around the independent audit and assurance processes to to really be able to give the capability to assess those those, those controls and, and, and then help them to track and manage capability plan uplifts and what have you. We've covered quite a lot in a fairly short space of time on this conversation and there's um, I'm pretty sure practitioners will have understood the terms there might be people that maybe are salespeople in this sector that also listen, you know, might want to go and look up what residual risk means and and other terms that you've used. If someone wanted to sort of do a 101 on 
this space, risk assessment, they've listened to this and go, okay, I want to learn more. Are there any recommended resources or papers, podcasts, blogs, articles that you, you'd recommend they, they go and look at and we can link to them in the show notes? I mean, obviously I'd put, point people to our website, which is arcticintelligence.com. We've got a lot of like materials around risk assessment. Um, there's a lot of, um, I think there's, there's more industry education that is, is required in this, in this space. We're talking to a number of kind of training organizations that, that train people in enterprise wide risk assessments around how to actually do it, um, to upskill kind of the industry. So there, there's, um, there's more to follow in, in this space, but, um, I say 31,000 is sort of standard risk management, um, methodology that's global. That's a good resource. Um, yeah, fantastic. Well, we'll put those those links in. Uh, if you've you know been interested or sort of engaged in in listening to this conversation, then please check those out. And obviously, uh, and so I assume it's fine for people to connect with you on LinkedIn if they have any other questions. Hundred percent, love to. Very good. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Alex. Really grateful to have Anthony come by today and explore this topic and share Arctic's take on where risk assessment is. There are definite similarities with the state of the more typical conversations we have about controls in this space, with the need to digitise and systematise manual processes, increase the overall standards, and move to a more trigger-based level of risk assessment versus current periodic processes. If you want to learn more, then check out the links in the show notes and reach out to Anthony on LinkedIn. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover or questions you want raised on this podcast, then please connect with me and we'll do our best to create that content for you. Thanks to Anthony for his insights today and to producers Caroline Waters and Mark Rundle. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.